Mr. Al Helton. Hi-ho. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to sort of fast forward into what the purpose of all these sonship gifts is and what you're going to look like if you actually do it. So, where we've been is we've been in Ephesians 1, and the the power of Ephesians is that the whole book promises us the fullness of Christ. So, in, in chapter 1, the last verse, which is his body, talking about the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, Ephesians starts in uh, chapter 1 and says... The church is the representative of the fullness of Christ. That's us. Chapter 2, last verse. Again, we go to the last verse of the second chapter. In whom you are also being built together for habitation of God in the Spirit. Again, fullness of God in the Spirit. You are the representative of the fullness of God in the Spirit. Chapter 3, we are promised, and here it is, that we might be able to comprehend, verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3, with all the saints, what's the width, length, depth, height, to know the love of Christ was past his knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Now again, your job, your assignment, you grow into the fullness of Christ. Chapter 4, the whole reason of fivefold ministry is given, that you may, 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 5.1, imitate God, act like, think like, talk like, walk like, look like God in the Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God, chapter 6. It's your armor. He fashioned it for you. That's how you look like God when you're walking down the street. You think like, act like, talk like. Smile at somebody and say, you got some changing to do. <laughs> Golly. Well, I'll tell you, the guy who wrote it changed. Because when you meet him in Acts chapter 7, he's killing Stephen. He's orchestrating the death of Stephen. Then he go, you go all the way through. He's... In Acts 9, he's breathing threat and murder against the church. God intervenes, knocks him on the floor, blinds him. When he gets up, he can't see. Three days under the judgment of God. Three days under the wrath of God. He repents. Wouldn't you? Three days of blindness. Knocked to the floor. Now, fast forward 20 years. Here he is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. We're in Acts 20, 25 and 26. Here's what he says. You see these hands? Look at these hands. They're innocent of the blood of all men. How many people did he kill? God only knows because he's still breathing threats and murder a chapter later. It's got to be more than Stephen. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Acts 23, verse 1 and 2, before the high priest. Strike him on the mouth. Nobody can say that. See, the religious world cannot believe that Christ 
can actually cleanse your conscience so that you have no more conscience of past failure. But that was Paul's testimony. What happens when we grow to that point? When we grow to that point, 1 John 3, because your heart does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. And whatever you ask, you receive. Now, maybe you think you might like to live there a few moons. That could be fun. That's what Ephesians, that's the revelation of Ephesians. That's what it will do. But God jerked my chain this week. And when I rolled into this city last night, I have heard this question from the Lord ever since I rolled into this city. So today, you're getting the prophetic L. So I'm going to tell you what I heard. And I'm going to take you through the scripture. And I'm going to show you what I think it means. And I want to talk to you about... If you don't get this sonship stuff, you can't go where God wants to take you. There is no way. Now, we already executed some authority today. I'll tell you, there's a ton more to execute when you read this book. Here's what I heard the Lord say when I rolled into this city. Last night, 6 p.m., rolled in, and I've heard it ever since. What? Do you know about the wrath of God? Well, let's see. It's not for us. I'm pretty sure of that. Actually, I think the wrath of God is only the Old Testament. I think I read somewhere in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, about 8 or 9, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath is not for us. That's Old Testament. We got people teaching today in the church, Hey, God loves you. He He took all that wrath on the cross. You don't ever have to worry about wrath again. That sounds good, but it's a crock of crap. <laughs> don't get emotional on us now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Smile at somebody and say, what do you know about the wrath of God? I'm not sure I want to know anything about the wrath of God. Well, you better because you're going to walk in it and dispense it in the last days. You're going to represent it in the last days. You better know something about it. You want to get sidelined because you never grew up? You want to have God look at you and say, go sit with the kindergartners because you would never grow up. Now, that's what we're in danger of, being sidelined, because we wouldn't grow up. I'm not willing to let that happen on my watch, if, if I can make a difference. What do you know about the wrath of God? Last week, the Lord came to me, son... How old were you 
when you learn John 3.16. This is God talking to me. I have those conversations. I've been in heaven twice. I saw Jesus face to face. Put his finger in my face and sent me back. So sometimes he comes to visit me. I don't know, God. My, who knows? Sunday school, probably, maybe vacation Bible school. I mean, I was in the Baptist church as much as I was in the Christian church. All my friends were Baptists. So, they loved to come to our church because we could dance a little bit. We loved to go to theirs because they had the best food in town. I don't know. I have four or five. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I said, maybe four or five. I don't, I don't know, Lord. I, I don't know. I can't really answer. And he said, son, if they had taught you John 3.26, to go along with John 3.16, you would have had the whole picture of who I am. But because you only learned John 3.16, you only got the first half of who I am. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, whenever you meet somebody who doesn't know the Lord, what is your assignment? Love them enough to try to lift the wrath off. Hello? We don't think in those terms because most of us didn't even know John 3.36 was in there. Oh, we read it, but we just kind of glossed over it. And the reason we glossed over it is because it had the word wrath in it. And we don't have a place for that in our theology, so those verses we just sort of go to the next one. We just read over it. And so it doesn't really register because we don't know what to do with it. It, it doesn't, there's, we, we don't have a line for it. We don't have a paragraph for it in our theology. And it's possible that we haven't done much teaching on it for 50 years. So if there is a subject that the church doesn't know, they don't know the wrath of God. They don't know what to do with the wrath of God, so a whole lot of it just deny it. You know what? You can't deny what you're called to represent. How long do you think you can get away with denying what you're called to represent? I'm going to read you a passage out of a version I really don't like. Yeah, it's the... Necessary and vineyard version. 
can't teach in the vineyard if you, if you don't teach out of the NIV. But every once in a while, they had a faith accident and got something decent. Just so happens on this one, they did. So here it is. Now, this is about you and I in the last days. When our government leaders, when those who are assigned for this purpose, when they fail, when they call evil good and uh, good evil, then their assignment from God switches over to the church. Hello? Now, I'm talking about police, judges, military, sheriffs. It's a God call. It's a God assignment. And therefore, it is a major assault for the enemy to pervert it, to legislate what's demonic, and come against what's God. Now, I spent five years of my life in 161 combat missions fighting communism. I saw what they did. They killed kids. They put bombs on them. I mean, they... And in the Bolshevik Revolution, the first people they killed were the pastors, and they crucified them to the church door. And it is stunning to me that we've got a political movement that is bringing forth communists in America. You've got to be kidding me. And it's also stunning to me that we have we were attacked by Islam, we have a war with Islam, and the greatest advances in our last election... Islamics. You know, I'm not sure I'm living in the country I grew up in. But I'll tell you what. God knew this day was coming. And God's answer is you. It's you. It's me. It's his people. It's the church. He has an anointing for this. He has an answer for this. And in order for us to carry the answer, we've got to get to know the subject. Here it is. Everybody knows it. Romans 13, 1 through 4, NIV. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority. That's exousia. Behold, I've, you know, they, they disciples were excited because the demons were subject to them, and they were having success in ministry. And Jesus said, look. Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in that. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I give you exousia over all the dunamis of the enemy. The enemy tries to counterfeit everything God does, including his power. I give you governmental authority over every demonic activity. Use your authority. Learn it. Walk in it. Represent it. Use it. For there is no authority except that which has been established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 2, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. All right, so let's stop right there. When our government goes rogue, when the government goes anti-Christ, do you obey Christ? Or do you obey the Antichrist government? Acts chapter 4, it tells you exactly what to do. 
the Sanhedrin. You cannot preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Every last man in the church stands up and, and their leadership gives voice. Whether it's right to obey you or God, you choose. As for us, we will obey God, not you, when you go Antichrist. When you go rogue, you're on your own. Actually, you're not on your own because we're going to go back and pray. So they went back and prayed, and they agreed on Psalm 2. God, give us boldness. God, give us an anointing to heal. God, give us an anointing to put people in the grave. And they did. And Ananias and Sapphira dropped, and the fear of God hit that whole city because of the wrath of God was manifested. That's what you're supposed to carry. How can you carry that if you don't even understand it or study it in the Word? If we don't get a hold of this subject, we will be forfeiting our end-time harvest of nations. You know who's an example of this? That whenever the government goes rogue, then the government falls on the shoulders of God's people. You remember what God told Saul to do? You know those Amalekites? When we were coming out, and they waited until the end of the day. And when they attacked, they attacked the women, the children, the elderly at the end. I'm telling you... Nobody fights war that way. That is a dishonorable way to war, a cowardly way to... I will declare war on the Amalekites and they are destroyed. Saul, kill them all. And their animals. What did Saul do? Brought back Agag, brought back all the animals that were worth something, that were money in his pocket. The government went rogue. What did God, what did the Holy Ghost do when the government went rogue? Samuel? Samuel. We talked about Samuel in Sunday school this morning. What did Samuel do? He pulled out a sword and he executed what Saul refused to do. When you and I read these verses right here in Romans, you know what it tells us? It tells us that, and it's here in the NIV. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath. An agent of wrath to bring punishment on evildoers. That's the assignment of government. They aren't supposed to afflict the righteous. They aren't supposed to call good evil. They aren't supposed to call evil good. They, God's assignment is you bring the wrath of God so the fear of the Lord is in your nation. When government fails, God says, all right, church, Tag, you're it. 
You're not the object of wrath. I read First Thess 5, 9. But we are the agents of wrath. Oh, boy. Now what? Oh, shoot. I don't know. Let's go off the notes. So I just got them this morning. And remember them anyway. When the Father decided to bring the Son into the earth, how did He prepare the way for the Son? First time. First coming. How? Better grab a Bible. Might want to read this. Smile at somebody and say, this is not in his notes. This is free. The crucifixion is yet to come. Matthew chapter 3, it's not really crucifixion, it's maturity, it's grow up. You need to understand God has ordained a pathway for salvation for people who are deceived up to their eyeballs, and it is through manifestation, least amount of wrath, maximum amount of salvation. But if you don't understand this subject, you will never grow into the place where you represent Him in it. And I'm telling you, we are there right now. We're there in California. We're there in New York. And you're only one election away from it being right here. Why? Because we haven't taught on the wrath of God and the church doesn't even know that they can do stuff to cause the wrath of God to fall on them. You're going to show us that? You better believe it. Why in the world would God bring up this subject if He didn't want to expose some deception that's on our life because we think we can do stuff that we can't do? It's, it's costly. Do you know what the Bible says the first thing that happens when you wake up and figure out, say, something's going wrong, I wonder what's wrong. The, well, you violated something somewhere, so the wrath of God is on you. Do you know what the very first thing the Bible says happens? I just found it this morning. God took me to it. I didn't even know it until this morning, so I can expect you to know it. It's in a book I hate. Ecclesiastes 5. I dare you to read Ecclesiastes and try to figure out what sane person wrote this. The first thing that happens is destruction starts on the work of your hands. It's one of the manifestations that causes you to go, God, did I cross a line I shouldn't have somewhere? Am I somewhere I shouldn't be? If Show me. Show me so I can get back to where I belong. I want back under your safety net because I'm not appointed to wrath. So if I've done something that I didn't understand and, and it triggered the, the wrath trigger, and this is the reason why I'm seeing destruction on the fruit of my hands, I want to know it. It's the first sign. I'll give you the chapter and verse when I get back to my notes. How did God decide to bring the Savior the first time? 
Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John himself was clothed with camel's hair, leather belt, and waist. His food was uh, locusts. Verse 7. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What was John the Baptist's message? It wasn't salvation. How many people did John the Baptist heal? Zero that we can figure out. When God chose to bring his son into the earth, how did he prepare the way? He sent somebody preaching, Save yourself. From the wrath to come. You know the next question. When the Lord gets ready to come back the second time. Revelation chapter 11. What does he do? You don't preach it. With words. You demonstrate it with actions. Would you please look at somebody and say, this is in your future? Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. I will give power to my two witnesses. Let's see, who are those witnesses? Well, there are two olive trees, right? Verse 4. Two olive trees, there are two lampstands. Standing before the God of the whole earth. Jeremiah eleven sixteen. Israel is an olive tree. Romans 11, 24, 25, 26. We are grafted in to their olive tree. And once the Jews start coming back in, they will become their own olive tree. So there's your two olive trees. If you haven't seen the movie, AOC Network, Two Witnesses Movie. One hour, 17 minutes. You need to see it. It's a game changer. It'll, it'll help you understand exactly what's going on. But now look how Revelation 11 unfolds. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth, devours their enemies. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over water to turn them to blood. Now, this is all the stuff Moses did. And to strike the earth with plagues as often as they did. What, what are they? They are agents... Romans 13, 3 and 4. They demonstrate the wrath of God in order to create the fear of the Lord that people might get saved. So the first time, John, preach it. The second time, church, practice it. This is our future. You feel like you're ready for that? God chooses who he wants to fast track. And if God chooses to fast track your congregation, then he'd probably send people, then you'll hear messages like you're hearing this morning. Because he has chosen. He looked at your heart. He weighed you in the balance. And he said, yeah, you can handle this. I've found a church. It has enough guts, has enough courage, has enough commitment, 
has enough dedication, they can handle the fullness of who I am and demonstrate it. They may not like it, but they will submit themselves to the Holy Spirit. They will yield to the Spirit of God. And they'll represent me in my fullness. Now, man, you want to hang around this place? That's what you're in for. I know. It's scary. Why shouldn't it be? It should. That's the only healthy way you approach something like this. Scares the hell out of you. It's safe that way. Smile at somebody and say, what do you know about the wrath of God? Ezra 5.12. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the first thing you need to know about the wrath of God. Because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath. Ezra 5.12. It's right after Second Chronicles. Because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple, carried the people away to Babylon. When people, when a society, when a person, an individual, a family, a state, a court, a nation, a legislature, when you provoke God to wrath, what do you know is coming next? Judgment. Uh, there's no escape except repent. That's why God sends the prophet. That's why he sends the church. That's why he anoints the church in the last days to manifest least amount of judgment for the maximum amount of salvation. You and I aren't doing it. The Holy Spirit is. You can't do this. You're afraid to touch it. That's the only healthy way that you approach this subject. If you don't get a burning bush, I'm not in. God, you want me to do this? I need a burning bush. I need to know that I know that I know. You better show up or send an angel or something. Get ready. It's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. God told me to tell you it's coming. Grow into it. You are called to grow into this. Is our nation in trouble? Our states are in trouble. California's in trouble. New York is in trouble. How many of you know what New York just did to the babies? Right up until the day they're born. You don't even have to be a doctor. And you still kill them. And no charge. Now, man, I'll tell you, that's spitting in the face of God. That is demanding that judgment manifest in your midst. I'd be willing to bet that one of the reasons why God is starting to say stuff like this to churches is because of just what happened in New York State. They have gone so far rogue that it demands a response, and that response is the wrath of God manifested. Can't say I'm not God, but... Tell me what he's shaking my timbers. Go to Exodus 22. What do we know about the wrath of God? Well, I'll tell you why we're learning something about it. Go to Exodus 22. Exodus 22. Oh, wow. What have we here? Exodus 22, verse 16. And if a man, 22, 16. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed, lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. 
If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price, a virgin. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with a beast shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them, a widow, a fatherless child, if you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with a sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. What kindles the wrath of God? A widow, a fatherless child who is mistreated in any way. We had 70 million mistreated. Dead. That's maximum mistreatment. Oh, man. And what does their cry do? God said, well, it's right here. Why don't, why don't we see more of that? Because we're in a new covenant based on better promises. We have mercy and grace, but mercy and grace only goes so far. Pretty soon the cup is full. When the cup is full, uh-oh, what comes? <laughs> Revelation 6, 9. What do we know about wrath? Revelation 6. Oh, Revelation 6. You know, Revelation 6. Now, here's the Jesus of Revelation 6. Revelation 6 is Jesus carrying out what begins to happen in 5. In 5, 7, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Now, what is the scroll? The scroll has all the judgments of the wrath of God. That's what's in that scroll. Judgment is... uh, Wrath manifestation after wrath manifestation after wrath manifestation is in that scroll. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Okay, get this picture. In one hand, Jesus has, here are the different manifestations of the wrath of God. He's got it in his hand, but now at his feet, the prayers of the saints are poured out because the prayers of the saints are going to determine when and where the judgments, the bowls of wrath are poured out. That's in your hands. Oh, man. God, who can do this? Who can? Huh? Yeah, right there. Uh, Larry said five ten. That's it. In five ten, and that's where your noun becomes a verb. We boss l u o. We are kings and priests. Boss l u o. The noun. And, and we shall reign, well, Basel use the noun, 
kings and priests, and we shall basel you out. The verb, that's translated reign. Okay? That's the verb. You and I are the verb. We're the action of the Godhead. You reign here with your decision to pray and, and tell the Lord, here's where we need the wrath now for the maximum amount of salvation. That's how we reign. Well, all you could do is read down a little bit and over here in chapter 6. And uh, what do we see in chapter 6? 1, 2, 3. Look at 3. Second seal. So the second bowl of wrath. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. We got mass murder. It's not guns. It's mass murder has been loosed in this nation. We got 70 million dead kids crying out, God, how long, how long, how long? Do we have the authority to put that horse back in the barn when the Supreme Court cuts off abortion and it slides back to the states? That's when you will see the difference. Because every state that outlaws abortion. Church, we have the authority to put that red horse back in the barn. You say, how do you know that? Because I'd been asking God for six months. Do we have the authority? God, I don't know this. I don't don't know Revelation unless you come and and unfold it for me. It's too stinking complex. Uh, I've never been able to understand it. I think you have got to be in it in order to understand it. So my question do we have the authority to put the red horse back in the barn? Right there in the second row, the leading auctioneer of horses in the western United States, Steve Friskup, who is also a preacher who pastors a church in Muleshoe. Where's that? There's only one town in this county. It's got 8,000 square miles. There's only one town, Muleshoe. It's unbelievable. Oh, in Texas. So, so Frisk, I'm, I'm telling everybody, guys, I've been asking God, but I don't have an answer. Can we put that red horse back in the barn? I'm feeling like once we stop abortion, I think we have the authority to put the red horse back in the barn. Frisk up erupts. And starts talking to himself. Now I just meet him uh, uh, before the meeting. So we can, you know, cause he's a famous auctioneer and a pastor. So anyway, uh, I said, Steve, what's going on? He said, um, I said, come on, here's the mic. So I gave him the mic. He gets up and he, he says, my wife and I, as our, uh, our hobby, we are rodeo ropers. We calf rope. And he said, I'll tell you, our horses are boku expensive. My wife has a red horse. I just replanted all the grass in our front yard. And for the last seven days, that red horse of my wife has been out eating my brand new grass. And he said, it's impossible because the pens are 20,000 bucks a piece. The carriage bolts weigh about three pounds that lock the gate on top and the bottom. And that horse has figured out how to get his teeth on that carriage bolt, pull it out on top, get his teeth on the carriage bolt, 
pull it out on the bottom, nose that thing open and go eat grass. And finally, the Lord speaks to me on the seventh day and says, Hey, son, what you're doing ain't working. <laughs> Whoa. And the green light went on. <laughs> Whoa, it ain't working. Get a chain. You got to, you can't do this anymore. Change what you're doing. Cause what you've been doing is not working. Yes, we have the authority. He said, I'll tell you your answer. Yes, we have the authority. Put the red horse back in the barn. I've been doing, I learned it the hard way. Seven days I've been putting that stupid horse back in the barn. All right. Now that's not the only thing that's amazing about, uh, Revelation chapter 6, jump over to verse 12. He opens the sixth seal. All right, the stars of heaven fell. All right, here we go. Verse 15, the kings of the earth and great men, the rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in caves and in rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the, verse 16, what does your Bible say? Wrath of the Lamb. Of the who? Jesus. The wrath of Jesus. Hide yourself from the wrath of Jesus. What brings the wrath of God? Colossians 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, all the different kinds of sexual sin. They ramp it up. Also, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. When men suppress the truth in the pulpit, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against. Cat echo. All those who suppress the truth will not preach the truth for fear they're going to lose somebody's money. That brings the wrath of God. So don't be surprised if all of a sudden we got a bunch of people carried out feet first from pulpits across this nation. Because when the wrath of the Lamb comes and when He says, I'm going to fight for my church, I want my church back. And you don't turn, you're out of here. To relax. Guys in trouble? The ones behind the pulpit. Not here, because I know what you do. You don't withhold anything from the Lord. All right. Ho, go to Second Chronicles 17. Let's wrap this up. Second Chronicles 17. I'm going to wrap it up with somebody that should be a little bit familiar. I suspect you probably heard of him before. He was a great king. He was a good guy. All right, he's a believer. He's got his act together. He loves God. His name is Jehoshaphat. Verse 1, Jehoshaphat, his son, Asa's son, Jehoshaphat. Asa died. Jehoshaphat reigned in his place. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities. So, he did, verses 1 through 6, he has a good heart. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places, the wooden images from Judah. All right. Um... So he does all this stuff. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms in the lands that were around Judah because of the righteousness of Jehoshaphat. And they were afraid to make war against him. Go over to chapter 18. Smile at someone and say, here comes deception. 
Jehoshaphat's a great king. He's a good guy. He's got a great heart. But he doesn't see what just slipped in his back door. Deception. Jehoshaphat had riches. 18.1. Riches and honor and abundance. In marriage, he allied himself with who? Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab killed sheep through a big party. Said, oh, hey, Jehoshaphat, will you go to war with me against Ramoth Gilead? And so Jehoshaphat says, well, my people are like your people. Yeah, we're brothers, so sure. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat said to the king, uh, please inquire the word of the Lord. So, guess what Ahab's got? 400 prophets of Baal, courtesy of Jezebel. So they all prophesy, yeah, 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 go up and do it, go up and do it, go up and do it. So Jehoshaphat is at least smart enough to look around and say, these are false prophets. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, because Jehoshaphat said in verse 6, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here? Because these guys who are prophesying, they are not prophets of God. He's still got enough uh, sense to figure that out. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, yeah, there's one man uh, that we can inquire of, but I hate him because he never prophesies any good concerning me, but always evil. Micaiah, son of Imla, and uh, let not the king say so. So Jehoshaphat said, go get him. So the king of Israel call, called him and he comes out. And so he starts mocking the other prophets. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, I will speak. Therefore, he came to the king. The king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? That's verse 14. 15. So the, and, and so he says, oh, of course. Go up and prosper, you brain-dead morons. And they shall be delivered into your hand. Now look at verse 15. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Uh-oh. So he, they knew he was mocking. Verse 16. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord uh, said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Joshua, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing at his right hand and at his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead, that I may kill him, that the wrath of God might fall on him? And one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that. Finally, a spirit came forward, verse 20, and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, In what way? He said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. 22. Now, therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has, the Lord has done this. And he's done it in order that his wrath may fall on your head. Now, I added that, but I'm, you can read it in. It fits. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenai, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. And said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall know on the day when you go into the inner chamber to hide after Ahab is dead. Now, would you believe Jehoshaphat knows better, but he goes with Ahab, verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Smile at somebody and say, uh-oh. Go to chapter 19, verse 1.
Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. Ahab died. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good guy, and he had a great heart. Do you see this happening to the church today? I see it happen every time they go vote. Thank you for that Holy Ghost emphasis right there. <laughs> that speaks volumes. Ta da 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 da. Oh God. Be, can you support those who hate God? Not without opening the door. To wrath upon you. And the only way you get it off is to repent. Now explain that to some different sections of the church today. So then that makes you ask another question. How many places is race an idol in the church today? I grew up in the Democratic Party, and I'll tell you what, I got delivered from being a Republican, I got delivered from being a Democrat, and I realized something, that I could only support politicians who would support the Lord. Can't support a politician, Democrat or Republican. If, if they're going to champion abortion. I can't support them if they're going to champion homosexual marriage. I can't support them if they're going to champion Islam. It's an open door. So what do you do? You stand before the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to pray it. I want to end this service this way. I, I suspect there's some of us... Uh, because... We haven't, so I'm just going to say, probably not your fault. You just didn't know. We just haven't uh, gone into this area and for a good reason. It's hard to go into. Yes. I mean, you talk about one tough area when you go in to deal with the wrath of God, and especially try to persuade the church, kiss your rapture goodbye. You're going to die for the king in the last days. Oh, but the good news is you'll be resurrected. Actually, you'll have a better resurrection. Yeah, that'll sell. You can touch a lot of things, but don't touch my rapture. All right. I won't touch it. All I'm going to say is, your salva- the salvations that belong in your hands, that God has put in your hands for the last days, the cities, the nations, the families, many of them may be waiting to see the fear of the Lord in manifestation. You may have to bring the wrath of God to get a harvest in the last days. That's what I'm saying to you. That's what I see in this Bible. That I, I do not, because of my experiences with the Holy Spirit, uh, 
when I rolled into this city, I do not believe we can any longer allow uh, this subject not to be addressed because the Lord is fast-tracking some congregations into this dimension. And it may well be this is one of them. So what I want to do is I just want to pray a, a general prayer over all of us. Uh, Lord, if we have crossed the line in any way, like just, if we've in any way been like Jehoshaphat and we didn't see it, we didn't understand it, oh God, why not? We turn to you and we thank you that the blood of Christ delivers us in the name of Jesus, that the wrath of God was never appointed for us, and because of the mercy of the Most High, we are free. Now we will serve you and let us obey the Holy Spirit even in our voting, and let us yield, not withhold anything from you any longer, but fully yield to you. All right, so that's what we're going to do. So please stand with me. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Father, I bring this congregation before your throne right now in Jesus' name. Lord, me, my family, and everybody in here. Lord, any of us can step across the line of deception because we didn't see it the way you did. And somehow we didn't pick up the Holy Ghost alert. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we stand here at people who need the grace, who need the mercy, who need the blood of Christ. And we plead it over every single individual. And, Father, we repent for any unknown transgression that we didn't see. We didn't expect to do it, but we did it. So, Father, in Jesus' name, free us this day. We apply the blood of Christ. We claim it for our lives. In Jesus' name, you've made us the head, not the tail. You have not appointed us to wrath, but you've made us agents of your wrath. Now God qualifies in the days ahead. Let us see it the way you see it, and let there be no wrath upon your people. Lord, that was your purpose for the Levites, that there not be any wrath on the congregation when they come to the Lord. Father, when the ministers do their job, there's no wrath on your people. Lord, in Jesus' name, let it be so. Let it be so in this house. Let it be so in the churches in this state. In Jesus' name, grow us up into what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Tonight at 6.